This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. Here's your host, Corey Tusick. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. On this week's episode, I interviewed Joe Rampart. Uh, Joe is a pseudonym for uh, someone up in Canada, um, but he's been hosting a lot of Twitter spaces about the Canadian trucker convoy and kind of documenting all that. Um, so obviously there's a crossover there with uh, Bitcoin, but also, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners are very freedom focused. So I wanted to uh, get Joe on to get his perspective, see what was going on um, and how that was all playing out and, you know, the timeline of events. Um, and at the time, you know, it was kind of about the big one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest things going on in the world. But obviously things uh, always are changing. So um, but still, uh, you know, we have the Bitcoin donations going out there and all that craziness. So, um, yeah, I wanted to get him on. It was a great uh, chat and definitely looking forward to uh, getting more from Joe, because I think uh, he's a wealth of information and, and you know, uh, what's going on up in Canada. So, uh, yeah. And the sponsor for the show is Coinbeast. Need Bitcoin support? Book a one-on-one video call with a pro on CoinBeast Connect. Ask questions about mining, self-custody, multi-sig, how to run a full node, how to set up the Lightning Network, and how to accept Bitcoin payments. Simply go to coinbeast.com, select a pro, and find a time when you're available. It's that simple. Learning about Bitcoin has never been easier. It's also brought to you by Movies Plus. Go to the my go to the website mymoviesplus.com or go uh, into the App Store and search for Movies Plus. You will see it. It's the blue M cinematic looking logo with uh, uh, with the plus next to it. And uh, download the app. You get a free 30-day trial. So uh, just give that a whirl. And I mean, I was just looking at it. Uh, I was actually watching it the other day. But uh, um, yeah, we have, since you're a Bitcoin audience, we have three Bitcoin docs on there. We have a Bitcoin FUD, which is brand new and just came out. Um, Bitcoin, the end of money as we know it. And um, we also have uh, Cryptopia on there, which is also Bitcoin Um centered so hope you guys enjoy those check it out and if you want to reach out to the show it's bitcoin made simple podcast at gmail.com you can follow me on twitter it is cory underscore tusik thanks it's it's funny bitcoin ends up touching like everything in life um and uh and here we are because it kind of uh touched this specific moment um with the with the canadian convoy um and the truckers. So, uh, so Joe, I got to ask, first of all, so you said, uh, you, I don't want you to dox yourself, but you're from Canada, obviously. So you have to be a hockey fan, right? I am. Yes. I'm a hockey fan. I'm an Edmonton Oilers fan. If not, I'm Edmonton so sorry. Oilers, well, that's okay. Then I go for the, <laughs> the Habs and Montreal Canadians after that, you know, nothing yeah. else matters. Occasionally I take a look at the sharks, but, uh, I'm an Oilers boy. I'm I'm from Pittsburgh, so uh, so I'm a Penguins fan. Uh, so uh, we've been we've been enjoying it as of late, uh, as opposed. To, I don't know how old you are, because obviously anyone, if you're listening to this, Joe Rampart is a is a true nim. Um, one of the first uh, nims outside the Bitcoin space I've met. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know how old you are, but uh, the Oilers, you know, back in the '80s, it was great. Um, let's put it were... this way I, I'm closer to 60 than 50 and I was uh, I did watch uh, I did actually go to the uh, 
cup playoffs at uh, Rexall Place or the Edmonton oh, Coliseum back in 88. Uh, I do remember seeing uh, the Oilers boys partying across the street in the bars. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> so you were there for the good days then? Absolutely, you bet. I still remember buying uh, buying uh, tickets off of scalpers to get into the game too. So <laughs> <laughs> Back whenever those existed, what's that nowadays? Um, well, that's when you buy the toothpick. It just happens to come with a piece of paper attached to it. Nyak, nyak, nyak. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. I forget where I told this story, but there was a, at, in, at Three River Stadium, the old Steelers uh, Empire Stadium. My friend, uh, his his uncle took him to a game and they had uh, tickets made out of colored pencil. Um, and he said, oh, we're going to go up the slider in 88. Those are the ticket takers. They'll let you slide into the stadium. Um and when his uncle got busted, it was getting chased up the ramps of the stadium by the cops. Uh, but uh, yeah, nowadays you can't do that. Everything's on the phone. I, we went to one penguin game or two penguin games this year, and it was, you know, everything's on the phone, all that, all that jazz. Um, well, Joe, I got to ask you about the the Canadian convoy. So you know, I I came across you hosting spaces, and I guess before we get into the specifics of the convoy. Um, have you been hosting spaces for a while? Are you a radio personality? Cause you've got the radio voice. Um, so uh, yeah, do it, just fill uh, fill us in on your background. Well, relative to spaces uh, I've been participating in spaces since its inception in early 2021 as a basically listener only. I didn't start speaking in those spaces until probably September. And I started hosting them in October and since then, I've developed quite a following, and I host regular spaces. So it's uh, it's certainly something I'm deeply involved in at this stage of my life. My history is I got originally into uh, radio, television, broadcasting in the early 1980s when I got out of uh, college. I actually did work for a radio station at one time for a period of about 16 weeks. And then I left that industry because I saw how absolutely in my words, evil it was at, at that time. And uh, I joined the Canadian Armed Forces, did six years there. And then when I got out, I was in a city that was termed as uh, a city for the newlywed, nearly dead, overly fed, and the garden bed. There was no work. So I moved from British Columbia to uh, Alberta, and uh, I've been here for the last 30 years. Okay. So over 30 years. Um, so I was going to say, you've got, I mean, You've got a radio voice. I'm sure you've heard that before from other people. Uh, I absolutely have. And you know it. If you need an announcer, give me a call. If you would like to have a book narrated, I could do that for you as well. <laughs> um, and uh, so being in the military, um, I guess that has to uh, kind of a lot of the stuff that's been going on has to be kind of conflicting. Um you know, uh, there's a there's a Bitcoiner, um, Preston Pish, that uh, that I had on back in the summer, and he's a former um, U.S. military, and uh, and I just asked him because I, I was, you know, just me as an American, it's like the patriotism's been really difficult lately. Like I love my country, don't get me wrong, you know what I mean, um, and and uh, you know, proudly have the flag flying outside my house. Um, but, you know, it was just it, it was kind of happening everywhere that it, it was like 
everything didn't seem what it was and it was kind of becoming a mess. Um, so to see everything happen up in Canada, you know, where I'm sure you're a proud Canadian, um, you know, what are your, and, and being a military vet, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, what you've seen happen over the last couple of years and, and what's it like, you know, with the, to, how hard is it to hold that patriotism? Patriotism to the ideal is easy to hang on to. Mm-hmm. It's when personal biases become involved that conflict with, his, with people's ability to focus on the one thing, i.e. here in Canada, it's we want our freedoms. We have seen that what has been happening has encroached upon our Charter of Rights and Freedoms in an insidious way. So we're resisting that. And I think that's what's really united Canadians to, you know, put past our differences, to look past all the biases and say, you know what, there's a much bigger issue at stake. It's not about, you know, your right to have your own defining um, narrative. It's about the whole narrative that we want to be free. We do not want to be subjected to tyrannical governance because in the age of tyranny, resistance is duty. Yeah. Yeah. You're speaking truth there. Cause uh, people don't realize how um, it's not always obvious when tyranny comes, um, even though it seems obvious to probably people like me and you, um, you know, when they look back on, you know, 1930s Germany and they'd be like, obviously I would have been on the right side of history. Well, like, <laughs> It doesn't happen, you know, overnight. Um, so, I mean, wh- what do you think the the state of things, where do you think things started to unravel in Canada to lead up to where we are now, even if it goes back years? I saw the move start between 2004, 2008, and it really became clear to me between 2008, 2011, when we went through the, the bubble pop up here in the market. Uh, There was a financial market uh, collapse, and then we had a housing issue here in Canada. At that point, the money was the real indicator, was to see how the money was moving. And it was then that I really drilled down that this is a lot deeper. And that's what started me down my trail on investigating the global cabal that uh, seems to be everybody's focus right now, primarily the World Economic Forum, and how it's connected to the United Nations through the World Health Organization. The interesting thing that I see is the connection with the Organization for Economic Development and Cooperation, which is the financial taxation arm of the United Nations. So be prepared for OECD's basic uh, income tax on global corporations of 15%. So they're going to be taxing global companies, not individual people, global companies. That's correct. Uh, the, the objective of uh, stage two of the OECD plan is a global taxation on corporations of 15%. And that ties in with the social credit program that uh, here in Canada, the Canadian Trade Commission and the Canadian government even has it publicly posted on their uh, website about uh, what's called the Chinese social credit system for businesses doing 
business with China and the use of that uh, social credit system is to place that business in a hierarchy as to who's a preferred vendor, who's not a preferred vendor, who's going to get support and who's not going to get support. The underlying issue there is not only does the company itself have a social credit score, but how is that corporate uh, credit score or that corporate social score uh, calibrated? It's not only on the behaviors of the particular entity, the corporation, but it's also based on the behaviors of the employees of that corporation. So the logic tells me that if there's going to be a social credit score on the corporation, that social credit score is also going to be calibrated on the social credit score of the employees of that corporation. Now, yeah. that, speaks, that speaks to the tie-in with the Canadian Bankers Association uh, creating a digital ID here in Canada that is in connection with recent developments that I'm tracking down right now relative to the implementation of using a German company to provide QR codes for health systems. And that's the tie-in when the QR code for your health is tied into your digital ID. And then boom, that's where you lock. Everybody's locked. So it's, it's just trying, for me, it's kind of like on one side of the, the, the map, you're looking at the backside of the tapestry. Think of embroidery, right? It's the backside that gives you a bit of the scene and it ties all the knots together. But when you spin it around, you start to see the whole picture. So right now, I think the world's kind of in a, in a, in a position where the, the whole thing's spinning and we're only catching a, a picture of the real picture and then it flips back to the backside. So it, it's looking convoluted. But the, the idea is to keep your eye on the similarities in everything. Once you can start to see the similarities, that's when the whole picture starts to tie together. Speaking in a metaphorical way, to use a tapestry as, as, a, mm-hmm. as a visual for it. I don't know if that's making complete sense. No, but. <laughs> that, that, that makes great. I mean, that, that really visualized, I think I, I can visualize that well because, you know, something, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of the people that listen to this are Bitcoiners. So, um, you know, I think we all share an experience where like Bitcoin was kind of our for a like we, that's how we got pulled into this and started peeling back the onion. So for you, it was the the financial meltdown 08 to 2011. Um, and then did you start have you been you know, at, actively in politics or, you know, working with politics or did you just start hosting these spaces to to make sure that the voices weren't silenced two-pronged answer to that my involvement in the political scene was very local and provincial here in canada and i noticed in my professional career outside of all of this um, i saw movements in a different way because i work for a global firm And when I started to see the restructuring happening within my own organization, and I'm high enough in the organization that I can see what is really being pushed, right? And I see it move towards compliance with the incoming digitalization of identification, 
of money, of health status. So when you start to see, you know, these big whale companies move in that direction to, to you know, set themselves up for eventual compliance, then, yeah, you start to see the connection. And at that time, the spaces was starting up, uh, Clubhouse was up, but, you know, they're crazy places, right? And yeah. the, thing I, the, the thing I found about spaces was spaces could be very directive could be very informative so long as the platform is used in the right way, not as a free-for-all nightmare situation, right, where you're walking into a space and it's got a thousand people in there all barking at each other over, you know, my, I'm right, you're wrong, you're right, I'm wrong. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. But when you start to structure them and you start to, like what we have done in that space that you're in, and we're expanding on that. Uh, when you start to do that, you start to get the real voices and you start to hear the people that really have the information. So it's, it's certainly been expanding quickly. Yeah. Um, now with the, when did you guys start picking up on the trucker convoy and talking about it? Cause that, you know, I mean, the truckers were there for three or so weeks. Um, but I remember them driving. Oops, sorry about that. I remember them um driving across where did they start at i forget um or were they coming from all over they came came from bc um but it was uh it started in bc but as it moved across the country more added into it so it became huge um the original start was around the beginning of january uh, when the original Convoy 2022 organizers decided, well, let's just do a convoy. And it was kind of a gra- grassroots movement, right? Mm-hmm. And it picked up speed as they moved along. And it wasn't until the, uh, the, the organizers, B.D. Ditch and uh, Tamara Litch, uh, were able to start to see that this was getting a lot bigger and it needed some organization to it. And I think that's really was the fall down to the whole movement was the lack of actual logistical coordination uh, to initiate it. It was all done spontaneously. And that's the other thing to speak to is the spontaneousness of it all that as this convoy 2022 was moving across the country and people were just joining and, and whether they were actually signing on to the con to the convoy, uh, or if they were just uh, sideline participants, just showing up for the ride, uh, just you know bringing up their own, and this is grassroots whole country movement. Mm-hmm. So the it's completely disorganized. So to think that this whole movement is one entity, it is not. It's multiples, 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 multiples to, you know, to drill down to one thing. Think of the Convoy to Freedom 2022, um, the, the funding issue of it uh, mm. revealed the lack of organization. There's, uh, the way I see it, is that the Convoy uh, 2022 was uh, an organization where the truckers had to register with the Convoy uh, organizers and only a heavy duty truck or an actual truck or a pilot vehicle, the support pilot vehicle uh, were able to be registered with the convoy for compensation. So if uh, Joe Blow, who owns uh, maybe a two ton uh, uh, van decided to 
color it up, uh, flag it up and join the convoy. That's on his dime or whatever sponsorship he could get. He wasn't going to get a dime out of this, nor is he involved in the organization. So he, in logistical terms, that's a rogue element. Yeah. So there's a lot of rogue elements to the entire movement. So it was, I mean, it's truly grassroots as it gets then. Nothing, nothing more grassroots than this. Uh, there were people just, you know, uh, going to bed at uh, 11 o'clock at night and eight o'clock in the morning looking, well, more food, it's time to go and loading up and heading out just to join in because, you know, uh, the events across Canada have caused such pain and such destruction of people's lives where you, you can't work, you, you can't participate in society you, without this app on your phone. Like uh, for the first time in two years, uh, my wife and I went out for dinner last week and sat down in a restaurant and actually oh. ordered a meal. Hmm. First time in two years. So even Does though that the mean QR- that they dropped the, I mean, I don't want you to dox your personal status, but you know, because everybody's free to make their own decision. But um, does that mean they dropped mandates or is it certain parts of the country? They're just letting things go. It's that word mandates again. I like to, I like to point out that uh, the mandates are a result of uh, a political decision based on information provided by public health agencies. I live in the province of Alberta, so I can speak to it. Um, we had in place here what was called a, res- a restriction exemption program, REP. That basically meant that you were restricted from participating in certain activities. You were exempt from participating in those activities because you did not have an up-to-date vaccination according to uh, the law or the mandate that they were put in. And it's the, the public health order makes the recommendation. The politician takes the recommendation and then puts it into action. And here in Canada, it's, it's hard for the government to actually force you to do anything as an individual, but they can sure force entities to be in a position that you cannot participate with those entities, i.e. stores, unless you have uh, what it is that they require. (laughs) It's so confusing because a mandate is only enforceable if you agree to participate with the mandate. If you disagree to participate with the mandate, you're not under obligation to comply with it. So they still would say, and it's not so the government saying it, okay? It's the businesses that were saying it. The government says you need to have this in order to come in here. Okay, well, the government is not telling the person they need it. They're telling the company the person needs it. Mm. there's a real logical disconnect there isn't there yeah and that's what i think a a lot of people get wrapped around that how why is that why is that well here in canada you have to remember every business entity 
has a very, very tight relationship with the Canadian Revenue Agency. And there's the connection to, you know, enforcing government in, you know, government. If you're uh, stuck with, if you're, if you're that close to the money spigot. Exactly. Exactly. That's and what, that's um, the beauty of Bitcoin and crypto is it gets you out of that circle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm weary. You know, I tell people to be weary of any kind of government handouts because um, you don't know when that, first of all, you don't have control over that faucet. Um, and then second of all, you don't know when there's going to become stipulations. Um, and like I have a business partner who, um, who had a, a business with like, uh, military or not military, uh, government contracts. And, um, and I mean, he was crushing it. And then all of a sudden, like, just like that government contract was gone and business fell apart. Um, so, you know, we get this, we're in this situation where we've, we've centralized so much. I mean, there's, you know, people are very critical of Elon Musk because he survived Tesla survives off of, um, you know, carbon credits which is true. That's why his company's profitable. It's not because he's selling a ton of cars. It's because he's getting um, government handouts, which is also why he probably started talking down on crypto and started talking about all these, you know, shit coins that, um, you know, especially Doge or whatever is because uh, he probably got tapped on the shoulder by somebody um, at the, from the government that said, Hey, uh, those, those carbon credits can go away, you know? Um, so, and he also, he's also tied in with, you know, NASA and all that kind of stuff with SpaceX. So he, he's definitely more compromised than most. But um, yeah, so you've seen that, you're seeing that play out. You're seeing the centralization of everything. And Canada is always like a step ahead of the United States in that respect. So whenever it came to individual sovereignty, because I mean, like you said, you brought up mandates and I'm... I'm in full support of any, everybody doing their own thing, but I'm completely against mandates. Um, so is that where like, because most Canadians are vaccinated, right? Like it's like 90%, I think. No, that's kind of high. I think we're probably just under the 80 percentile of double okay. vaccination. But the, is so the, it wasn't so much pushing the vax. It was the mandate all of a sudden. I mean, where do people stand? You know, I'm sure you could look up poll numbers, but, um, you know, what do the poll numbers say as far as people supporting the mandate and the convoy or, you know, supporting, stopping the mandates and supporting the convoy versus the ones that, you know, that want the mandates and want to be governed harder. You know, the old meme, govern me, govern me harder, daddy. Um, you know, versus what, what's that look like? You know, what does the CBC put out as opposed to what the general feel is in the public? Well, the CBC, or as I call them, the, the uh, federal prestitution outfit, is totally not to be trusted. Yes, yeah, which is totally not to be trusted. One can rely on uh, just the historical reference to Canadians where on average Canadians do almost divide themselves equally on every topic. It's so uh, polite for, of Canadians. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, 
but but it certainly speaks to one of the major things that, that I see as an indicator of that, the trueness of that statement, is that when it came time to hold the national referendum on Quebec separatism, that it was 50.1% to keep Canada as one country. Wow. And that's 49.9% said no, let them go. Wow. It's uh, so Canadian. You guys just, you're so polite. You know, if somebody runs into you, you don't like get mad about it. You just say like, hey, would you like a donut? You know, uh, I played hockey, so I, I spent a lot of time in Canada. <laughs> the, the thing I like to remind people, Canadians are so nice and polite by choice, not by mm-hmm. our general uh, genetic makeup or, or mental disposition. Well, perhaps so, but we're nice by choice. Uh, up here in the north, we're really, really nice until you scratch us. And historically, if you take a look at the last, like for me, uh, you know, I've studied 150 years of Canadian military history. And wherever you see the Canadian military involved, now you see the other side of Canada. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, you know, it's a good analogy too with, um, you know, hockey players. Uh, for example, like, you know, big melees in, you know, hockey. Like I said, I played growing up. Um, so, you know, you have like big melee with all these, you know, fights and stuff like that on the ice. And then afterwards, everybody's like, hey, let's go out for a beer, eh? You know, like, <laughs> so it's like. It reminds, it reminds me of that meme on the internet where it was like uh, after the, uh, when, when he, like on the 14th, when he, when he brought in the Emergency Measures Act here in Canada, uh, I saw a tweet going out, what now? Or, or what was it? And it was what's next. And the meme was a hockey player tossing his gloves to the ice. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, that's so true. That's exactly what's, what's next. You don't. And the funny thing is with, you know, like you think about hockey players and how they stick up for each other. I mean, teams are like this in general, but hockey players were like, you have these two guys that like don't get along at all in any aspect of life, but they're on the same team. And if you mess with his guy, you know, it's, let's drop the gloves and go. Um, so I, I see, I see where you're coming from there is Canadians are nice by choice. Um, but if you put, if you scratch them, they're going to come at you. So the convoy, um, you know, I, somebody wrote this on Twitter and I thought it was very, um, it was from a European perspective. I think they said, have the Canadians always been the chads of North America, <laughs> you know, like, like the badasses. And somebody was like, no, not at all. Um, And I think that kind of speaks to what you were saying. Um, So were people kind of taken aback by that? But like at the same time, the I don't know. I mean, it wasn't like it was a violent protest. It was the nicest protest in the history of protests. So, um, you know, were were other Canadians surprised by it? Were you getting as you were walking down the street, you know, talking to people about it? Were they like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. This is a tragedy. No. No, not at all. What I saw was Canadians going, makes sense. Makes sense. Almost as it was as if it was the next logical move. Because here up in Canada, you know, it's like currently right now where I'm at, it's like minus eight degrees Celsius. That's, you know, pretty cold for us. It's freezing for you guys in the southern states. But, you know, we're... we're we're not the kind to go gather 200,000 people with minus 20 degrees and go shake our fist at the government, right? 
Mm-hmm. But the the idea of sending a couple of thousand or you know fifty thousand trucks down the road that's a different story, right? <laughs> it, yeah. it, the, there's even a movement now of an auto convoy. Uh, I, I was exposed to that concept last night, and I kind of went, "What?" Shake my head. March fifth, everybody drive to Ottawa. Hmm. Uh, once again, we're repeating a mistake of the past without any actual planning or logistics involved in it. But then again, you don't want to tip your hand to any authorities. But you don't have to worry about that if you're going to do it in a peaceful way, um, in compliance with the law. You can do anything you want. You can protest as much as you want. So, again, without logistics and without planning, these things are bound to fail uh, or at least not achieve their objective to any degree. Uh, One thing to remind everybody is regardless of the trucker's uh, convoy, the mandates are still in play uh, at the federal level, or at least the maneuvers at the federal level are still in play. It's at the provincial and regional levels that uh, particular issues are being resolved. Uh, like with the exempt, with the restriction exemption program here in Alberta being immediately stopped, uh, mask mandate uh, being, you know, stopped on uh, Tuesday next. Um, mm. And these are all regional and uh, provincial because the orders, the public health orders come from local, um, local authorities, whether that be city, municipality, regional, provincial. Um, the federal aspect is a little bit different. Okay. I was going to ask too. So, you know, uh, Trudeau re- reversed course and, uh, pulled back the emergencies act, which to be completely honest with you, I never thought was going to happen. Um, cause, uh, like I said to my wife at the beginning of two weeks to slow the spread, I said, well, you know, I'm all for giving the hospitals time to get ready. Um, but my fear is that the governments never give up power that they have. So I want to ask you because you were close to the situation, you know what's going on in there. And I've seen reports of people saying like, yay, you know, he took down the mandate and re- reversed the the uh, emergency action plan, whatever it was. But some things stayed in. Is that true? Some people are saying, no, wait, hold on. I think he left a couple uh, provisions in there. Um, so is that what happened or is it completely repealed? In its essence, the Emergency Measures Act that was put into play by the Trudeau government on the 14th, when it was lifted yesterday, there is concern that during the period of time that the EMA was enacted, the economical measures that were included in that EMA, certain departments in the federal government were able to apply those measures to their own regulatory permissions and incorporate them into SOP, Standard Operating Procedure for that department, in relationship more so to the crypto Bitcoin issue where the government wants more control or more access to that information. That really opens up the door in the topic matter of your your podcast to Bitcoin, right? That the government is very, very much 
focused on wanting to get control of currency because you, with control of currency, you control your population, you control it all, right? Which mm-hmm. speaks to the value of decentralization. So I see that a lot of the economic measures that were incorporated in the EMA that was active for those uh, nine days are going to be far reaching and are probably still locked in play. The biggest issue that a lot of people in Canada have at this point is that when Chris, Chrissy Freeland, the minister of finance, deputy prime minister of Canada was announcing the economic measures aspect of it, that I was going there and it just went. Oh no, no. Yeah. No, the, with, uh, Freeland was when she was enacting them, uh, you were about to say something about, but, uh, she seems a little crazy. <laughs> she seems a little- yeah. There's, there's, there's something going on. There is something going on with that woman. Um, the, um, the general conception was, is that she's just very excited that I'm getting away with it. I'm getting away with it. I'm getting away with it. <laughs> type of yeah. uh, type of behaviors. Kind of like uh, a, a kid lot whenever of, they get into like you know the candy yeah. or something, and they're like, I can't believe this. Like mom and dad aren't flipping out. They don't notice. This is great. Yeah. And then next thing you yeah. know, they have you know type four diabetes, and they uh, you know are passed out on the floor. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so so she. So they, they, there's some concern that they might have left some measures in, and it's specifically just to crypto, not to bank accounts. So like they've let bank accounts go now, and, and they can no longer have the power to freeze your that bank account. It. That was it. That was it. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, that was it. When she made that announcement, basically they said they gave the banks free hand to make the decision themselves to freeze an account. And then start to report it up to the up to the process, because the way FinTrack or financial tracking works in Canada, they can review, and there's a lot of algorithms already in play. And you know, if it gets tagged through an algorithm, it goes up to a set of human eyes for some human tell, and then it's then there's a process to you know trigger that upstream all the way up to uh, you know the, the uh, federal financial control measures. So the idea that some teller or some bank manager or some, you know, account manager could see a wild transaction happen between two accounts or something and just on their own volition, just go hold. And there now the account's frozen. Whereas before they would have to go through a serious regulatory steps before that account was actually frozen. Now, of course, the timing on those, you know, regulated steps they would have to take is fairly quick. But the ability for the, for someone just to hit a key on a keyboard, boom, done, just on a suspicion, that was a major issue. Uh, it speaks to, you know, the complicity of the five chartered banks in Canada um, and also with social credit unions. But here in the province of Alberta, we're quite fortunate where we have what's called the Alberta Treasuries Branch, which is actually the bank of the provincial government. So it's under a different set of uh, laws that... Uh, you know, Different basically, if you have, exactly. So if you had an account here in, uh, you know, our provincial uh, treasury branch, um, no, your account wouldn't have been uh, uh, frozen because they just wouldn't do that. Not unless it actually violated any of the concepts that were already previously existing before the Emergency Measures Act. There's por- ports in the EMA 
financial uh, measures portion of it that were instructing entities to do their due diligence and to do their, you know, to do their end of things to report back. So those might just still be pressured, right? That you can still do that within our regular regulations or within our regular uh, scope. Without of the emergency. Act. Exactly. It's just for some, you know, they work in these departments and the department SOP is probably 16 binders, three inches long, right? Somewhere in there is probably some old little tiny piece of uh, legislation that nobody knew about until it was tagged to an EMA. Mm. And then they say, oh, well, we can, we could, we could do this all the time. Oh, wow. We didn't know. Mm. That's interesting. Um, so and, and just to be clear for people that don't know, um, I mean, most of my listeners, I guarantee you are pretty clued in. And, and I noticed a lot of people in the Bitcoin space that I know have been um, tapping into your spaces and, and uh, poking their ear in to see what's going on. But um, were you, did you see anything on the ground? Like, were you there at all? Were you just watching from afar? And, and what were the protests like? Because, I, I was just telling somebody I can't be, like I can't believe how stupid they think the general public is. Don't get me wrong; there are a lot of stupid people in the world, but to see the juxtaposition of how they, how the political quote unquote elites—I don't want to call them elites—with uh, just straight out because they're not elite in anything, um, but uh, the way that the p- political elites um, gave a pass to the burning of cities around the world a couple of years ago when it was to their social benefit. And now, and to their political benefit, I mean, the social messaging was to their political benefit. Um, and then from what I saw, the truckers were sitting there. Granted, they were honking. Big freaking deal. It's a lot different than, you know, a business getting burnt to the ground. Um, and also, uh, also, you know, anyone that's complaining about the honking clearly never had kids because, you don't know what it's like for noise. Like I could sleep through me and my wife could sleep through trucks honking 24 seven because we have got kids and they are, you know, it's like anything different than the crying and the whining. You know what I mean? You get that to, you know, uh, go away for a second and be like, Oh, this is peace. Sound like ocean waves. But anyways, so, you know, from what I saw, it was honking and then a very peaceful, very jovial atmosphere. Um, so, you know, could you reiterate to people what what you saw, what it looked like on the ground at the at the protests? Well, in comparison, I saw G20 in Toronto up close. Um, yeah, I saw the fires. I saw the destruction. I saw all the broken windows. I saw the looting. I saw the violence. And in comparison to Convoy 2022, I didn't see any of that. Uh, recently in the past three years, we saw all of our political leaders and our wannabe elites kneeling and bowing to uh, BLM, to Antifa. Um, the, the, the disconnect, you know, it's just absolutely mind-blowing. The, the events in Portland, yep. <laughs> wow. Like they talk about an occupation, talk about a seize, talk about you know, a complete violation of the basic rule of law. And it was given a pass. And here, in this particular one, all they did was block roads. Now, granted, yes, that is 
technically illegal under the Highway Traffic Act in Canada. You cannot park in the middle of the street. But, you know, they're in, they went in there and they locked up everything. So it was nonviolent, but it was not necessarily the right way to do it. Yeah, you could have, I mean, I guess in theory, parked like legally and, you know, made a, a quite a mess by having cars parked. I mean, if you have trucks parked everywhere, um, but still allowing access, you know, you whittle every every road mm-hmm. in the city down to one lane uh, that that'll get old real quick. Um, yeah, it did. And that's what caused um, the escalation on the ground, uh, specifically speaking to the, the debacle with the Ottawa city council and the Ottawa city council police services board where she solely uh, quit. And uh, I'll get another yeah, story. Behind was he, well, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> he, he was set up with a lot of bad information. And don't forget solely was, he's also a WEF puppet. Um, but he's, and, you know, a person of color and he was seeing this as, okay, well, you know, it is peaceful. There is really no threat. Uh, yes. It's uh, discomforting. And also the fact that I think prior to the arrival of the convoy, he was fed a lot of misinformation by deputy chief Steve Bell and also the other deputy chief that was involved um, literally, uh, they told city council there could be between one and 2,000 trucks and up to 5,000 people arriving. Uh, four days later, you know, they had 50,000 trucks in the general area and, uh, you know, a quarter million people. What are you going to do with that? Right? Yeah. So obviously things went wrong. But to speak to the, I wanted to bring up the one thing because I'm actually more in tune to agree that the honking became an issue. Um, I've had five kids, so I've lived through all of that, right? You know what it's and like to, yeah. I do. But the difference, the difference, uh, I don't know if you've ever been near uh, a big rig when he hauls on that air horn. That's loud. Yeah, it's pretty loud. It's not like when, your when car you, horn. When you combine all of them, the decibel level is pretty huge. Right. Mm -hmm. Had it been done, you know, from a post strategic analysis, if they'd arrived at the city and just sent, you know, small convoys in, go find every parking stall, go find every parking lot, just start locking up the available parking. Okay, once that's achieved, now let's start a rotation because there's usually time limits relative to parking availability. So start rotation. Truck leaves, truck comes in. Truck leaves, truck comes in. Keep it locked up. Now slowly feed trucks into the streets, never stopping, always moving, going around the block, going around the block, always moving, always moving. Add another truck, add another truck add another truck that way there's nothing but vehicles in the city constantly moving now that you've got the streets full now lock in the sidewalks now send in the protesters do it legally walk carry signs maintain uh, you know an appropriate distance the six foot shit is stupid but you know <laughs> start to lock it up start to lock it up start to lock it up you know that would that, that's yeah. That would have made a major difference, and it also would have alleviated the false, the potential for false flags. And of course, the false flags that they tried to put into play were completely beat down because it was so peaceful. And they were called out. We had some guy wandering around with a Confederate flag with a truck on it. 
Well, he was immediately told, will you leave? Get out of here. Get out of here. Canadians basically pushed them out of the way. Then there's a notation in there about a Nazi flag showing up. One Nazi flag, right? Okay, do the math behind it. We find out it's Scott Adams, the PM's personal photographer is the guy that took the picture, right? You take a look at it and all the other video shows that Scott Adams actually set that damn thing up. Imagine that someone from the inner circle with Prime Minister's office involved in a false flag. Propaganda. I've never seen that before. Never, never. But we know that it's a, it's a useful it's a standard. tool, unfortunately. It's exactly a useful tool. And there's all kinds of other things behind the, behind it. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Canadian media, media situation. You spoke briefly to the CBC. Uh, I'll remind mm-hmm. your listeners. The CBC receives $1.6 billion annually from the federal government. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a $590 million media bailout fund. And then there was another $60 million just prior to our uh, previous election in 2021. So the, the idea in Canada that we see our mainstream media, you know, the CBC, Global, CTV, uh, all our Canadian networks are completely bought and paid for by the federal government. That's why I'm one of the few guys that calls them straight out right to their face. You're a prostitute. I have nothing to say to you. You have nothing to say to me. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, the, the force the fourth estate has completely crumbled here in Canada. It's independent media. It's independent journalists. It's just Canadians wanting to get the truth out there. I take a look at uh, Andy Lee on, on Twitter, Hannah bananas. Um, she, she, her bank account and her credit card are frozen because they take her as an influencer. Wow. Of the, of the convoy. Exactly. Because she's an influencer of the convoy. Jesus. But she's also an enemy of the Trudeau organization because she's directly tied the Trudeau foundation to the communist party of China and their involvement in uh, the development of the, of the virus, uh, tracking it all the way back to, you know, the Trudeau Foundation's involvement with uh, Arbutus, with uh, the other organizations. And it, it goes right back to the University of British Columbia, all the way back to the Winnipeg Bio, Bio 4 Hazard, or Bio Level Hazard 4 organization where the Chinese spies were escorted out by the RCMP. And there's been no follow up on that either in the last few years. Hmm. So you start to see that, you know, this is much, much bigger. Much bigger. Much bigger. Yeah. It's not just Canada. I mean, even, you know, I remember, so, uh, you know, we talked about hockey earlier. Um, I'm a, you know, millennial. So I wanted to watch Penguin games, but I didn't have a cable box. Um, So I would buy the NHL package, like the streaming package, um, and use VPN to block my location so I could watch the games. Uh, And... I would always, whenever the chance came up, I would watch the Canadian broadcast because it's just done so much better than an American broadcast um, of a hockey game. So I would watch the Canadian broadcast and they would be always brought to you by Huawei. And like I said, I'm going, what the hell is Huawei? You know, like I never, ever heard of that in my life. Um, And then I just started to back then like, oh, that's a Chinese company that the U S doesn't do business with because of this reason or that. And then, you know, you just, you start to watch over the years. You're like, oh, you know what? China has a lot of influence on, uh, 
on Canada, even so I don't even, I don't think you, I even mentioned to you, but my background's in the movie business. And like, I would talk to people up in Canada all the time and they would be getting like boatloads of money just given to them from China to make movies. And mind you, these are movies that literally have never gone anywhere. But like, it was just I like I was like whoa like I don't want any part of that like I don't want to touch that money, um, it's just weird. And then you know a year or so ago they have the Chinese military over there, um, you know, doing exercises. I don't know if they're doing like jumping jacks and you know, uh, you know, uh, running around playing you know duck duck goose, but uh, <laughs> just like what's going on in Canada? What's this Chinese influence? So. Yeah, I guess I guess there's more to that onion. There's more layers that I it didn't even know about. It does, and if you think back, yeah, like many people are aware of the HSBC Bank Canada. Um, that's the Hong Kong Bank of Canada. It's a Canadian subsidiary of a British multinational banking and financial services company. It's the seventh largest bank in Canada. <laughs> so um, that's your money connection. Always has been. Yeah. Um, so the the protests were peaceful, um, and this was becoming a problem for Trudeau. And it was mm-hmm. a no, basically a no win situation for himself. And I think he made it even worse. Um, so explain to the listeners, like you know, kind of the timeline of events of how. Trudeau unraveled here and landed at the the EMA. I guess, and I don't want to like you don't have to go too far back, but just saying like you know the honking was becoming a problem. Was it when he like disappeared at one point, um, and and was no longer on location because he had COVID? <laughs> yeah, well, I tested positive and then uh, disappeared, and oh no, uh, I've got COVID. <laughs> <laughs> and where is he? He's probably off surfing in Tofino or something. Um, meanwhile, you know, Doug Ford's snowmobiling in Northern Ontario while <laughs> all of this is going on, right? So, uh, yeah, it was a debacle from the beginning. Uh, Trudeau obviously totally unprepared to deal with what actually came about. It came at him very peaceful. There was no way that this was going to turn violent, which would have really served their, their agenda. And even the response to the peaceful protest that we saw uh, last weekend um, really showed that, you know, they wanted a violent reprisal. They wanted, they wanted a violent reaction from the protesters. And the protesters didn't give it to them. Because when, when they actually started to move the law enforcement into uh, central Ottawa to start clearing out the protesters. They did it in such um, a unique way where they used local law enforcement initially to make a presence and to be seen. And then we would see the local law enforcement move out of the way. And then the riot squad come in behind them and start the push. Now, at that time, everybody was wondering, where did these guys come from? They said they were bringing in 1,800 um, law enforcement from across Canada to, to supplement this. But we didn't see that many people involved in law enforcement uh, from municipal police or from um, RCMP detachments in Western Canada. 
there was some minor amount of personnel movement. The greatest amount of personnel movement was from North Bay, Ontario, down to Ottawa, from uh, the North Bay Canadian Air Forces Field, which is home of Avalon Aviation, which has the UN contract to lease transport planes. And those planes were sitting on the ground, uh, completely de-iced and no snow on them. And they had been landing and taking off previously for that period from the time he announced the EMA until about 72 to 94 hours later, there were flights in and out, in and out, in and out. Now that speaks to why were there so many uh, law enforcement personnel on the ground in the face of protesters when they're moving them out that were wearing uh, no badges, no numbers, no uh, well, numbers on their helmets, uh, maybe an epaulette of a particular color or a, a signing letter on the back. So this speaks to a different form of enforcement. And when you take a look at the uniforms that they were wearing, those uniforms were brand spanking new, never used, no wear and tear, absolutely incredible. Those helmets had no scuffs on them. Uh, <laughs> so this is all new equipment. Where did that come from? Where did those UN planes come from? And whom and what were they carrying? There's a lot of debate on the ground right now post-protest uh, that they didn't hear any language being spoken by these secondary enforcements and that none of these people showed any emotion towards the protesters. And there's no way on earth that a Canadian law enforcement professional from, say, Saskabush, Alberta, or Saskabush, Saskatoon, wherever, out here in the West, would be sitting in or standing in you know, riot gear facing fellow Canadians in the capital of the country and not show any emotion. That's just mm-hmm. not possible. Um, these, these men, they looked at the protesters with just complete dispassion. And if you're being paid twenty-five to $3,000 a day to enforce some dictatorial powers, you're not going to have any emotions because you have no ethics and probably very low morals. Mm-hmm. So that kind of speaks to the did. Then the question is, what was happening there? The question is, is did he make a call and did somehow the WEF, uh, somehow, where did those, did where did they Cla- come from? Klaus Schwab come to his rescue, Mr. Yeah. Trudeau? Did, did, did the Schwab Praetorian Guards show up is the question, I guess. Uh-huh. Hmm. So then um, what was the, you know, I mean, across, I can, whenever I saw the action pulled in the grand, I'm, I don't even live in Canada, but I just had this pit in my stomach for days. Um, is that, uh, was that shared by a lot, uh, most of Canadians or a lot of Canadians were maybe didn't have a dog in the fight and they were like, look, whatever, like, annoying and then all of a sudden they do that like whoa 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 like this is this is a little too authoritarian for me um is that you know is that why he pulled back or or do you think there's some other reason that he pulled back the bank run the bank run yeah the bank i was wondering run. about that so we're the lack of the oh well not so much lines it was uh a lot of canadians got smart and they pulled it out slow and small 
uh, you know, under thousand dollar withdrawals, that kind of stuff, moving stuff out, moving it to uh, U.S. banks, converting to different dollars. Uh, A lot of major investors pulling out of Canada, canceling uh, large contracts. Uh, I know that for a fact. (laughs) In my personal, in my professional Mm -hmm. business, I I had some massive losses in the last uh, six weeks. But uh, we'll get through it. <laughs> yeah. So the bank run. Um, and I really think that this was a huge advertisement for Bitcoin up in Canada, because I don't want to make light of the situation, you know, and, and us Bitcoiners, we get accused of uh, frequently making everything about Bitcoin, um, which, you know, kind of does happen in our brains. Um, but whenever I saw this, I was like, boy, oh boy, if I'm, if I'm, you know, Joe six pack up in Canada and I see that they can freeze my money and at no, like with no, with no, you know, uh, nothing other than maybe a $5 donation to a, a, a cause, which at the time wasn't even a problem. They didn't even say that's a, that's the weirdest thing is that it was retroactive. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that'd be like, uh, like, uh, persecuting people. I remember there was this YouTube video and uh, sorry, women, if you get mad at me for laughing at this YouTube video, but there was this kid years ago. God, my God, this is like beginning of YouTube. Went around a college campus um, with a sign-up sheet uh, that said, would you sign the pledge to end women's suffrage? Which obviously the word suffrage sounds like women's suffering. But what it was referring to is women's right to vote. And would you sign to end women's right to vote is what he was actually asking, but the words were end women's suffrage. Um, and, you know, he was getting all these girls on campus to sign up and, um, and then they found out what it was and, you know, got pissed or whatever, you know, early, early days of the internet. But that would be like, you know, them just like signing up and then like find it like going after them later being like, what did you do? Like, how dare you? Your, your bank accounts are frozen or, you know, I mean, like what if you're sitting at a red light and you have the people walking around with like, you know, the cans, like collecting coins for, you know, for some kind of cause and you put it in and then five minutes later, they're like, by the way, do you know, do you just, uh, you just donated to a communist cause and we're going to have to arrest you and take your whole family. Like, it's just, I don't know. The whole situation is insane. So, um, do you think that this really is going to push a lot of average Canadians towards Bitcoin um, or at least like open them to them more? You said that you, you know, are into, you know, into it, but like, you're not like a hardcore Bitcoiner. You're just there. It's like, you know, parking some, some assets there, uh, hedge against the inflate inflation, all that kind of stuff. But do you think this has kind of opened people's eyes wide in Canada and really been the biggest advertisement you could have for Bitcoin? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, it's opened the door to people that know it's there now. They had a, a general idea of it. And I often hear this, and this is one of the reasons why uh, I started doing spaces with uh, Monica and Christopher, uh, focusing on Bitcoin for, you know, I, I used to call it, you know, Bitcoin for dummies or crypto for dummies, um, because a lot of people have no clue as to how to do it. They have no clue about exchanges, about hot wallets, about cold wallets, about how to secure their uh, their assets uh, or their you know their financial assets. Where did you know people just didn't understand the basics of downloading uh, a wallet, right, and being able to you know receive and send crypto. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it was so foreign to a lot of people because it's so caught up in the fiat game and yep. the, the systems of the convenience systems that are put into play in the, in the fiat market. The other thing it did is it certainly opened up everybody's awareness of, you know, financial controls on a global scale. And here in Canada, one of the big things that's the move is a lot of Canadians are saying, look, it's the WEF that we need to focus on because WEF basically owns half of every Canadian politician or more. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying that this is why the Russia-Ukraine thing is happening right now. Um, but uh the WEF was coming under a lot of scrutiny mm-hmm. because of you guys. I mean, not you in particular, but like Canadians as a whole. And, yes. um, and then magically something is taking the attention away. Isn't that funny how that works? Um, I think Putin saw it as an opportunity. Oh yeah, definitely. I really, I really think, you know, from a strategic point of view, if he'd have waited another six weeks, he'd have a whole lot less losses to deal with. But he probably pulled the pin mainly because the globalist agenda was very, very hot in everybody's mind at this time. So it just now was the time. You know, just because of the, the, what was so funny was that, you know, the EMA was pulled at four o'clock and uh, Russia invades at eight o'clock. Wow. Wow. That speaks to the fact Trudeau knew beforehand. Knew something was up. Yeah. It was like a Friday news dump, you know? It was like, hey, let's get this out because everyone's going to forget about it in the next four hours. Yeah. That's wild. Because States were lifted. Nothing was resolved. I, as I as I was speaking with the trucker last night, I said, "You know, I'm sorry to pop your bubble, but when you left Ottawa, you left Ottawa as if it was the 15th of January. Nothing's changed. Yeah. The only thing that's changed is in your own home municipality, whether you live in Alberta or Saskatchewan. You know where we've reduced and are uh, you know lifting." a lot of these so-called mandates are public health orders in BC. They doubled down, right? <laughs> um, Ontario is now relaxing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Quebec's coming back. So, you know, the, there's the other thing is that from a federal point of view, Trudeau was getting a huge backlash from the premiers and the premiers have a lot of power when they band together. But when they're in the small, when only two, two premiers have a position, you know, that's not going to pull. You need a minimum of six premiers in Canada to actually start to put some serious pressure on the prime minister. And I believe he's probably up to about nine premiers Thanks. that are really pushing on him. And that's, you know, it's at that point now, if he, if he, has, no, if he has no support from the provinces, then anything federal is going to be uh, very, very hard to get away with. Um, so c- two more questions for you then just to, to wrap you up. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but um, so, you know, we, you, you said the disorganization was maybe a problem. Um, 
are all the all the trucks are gone they lifted everything like did did the government did the bad guys if you will um did they win in the scenario um or is it just like a truce and basically back to nothing a tie i guess not a truce a truce would be agreement a tie would be the game's over and and nobody won well which also speaks that there would be damage on both sides so yes, there are truckers right now that uh, their uh, their vehicles have been seized. Their commercial insurance has been canceled. Their accounts are frozen. There's uh, take for instance uh, Tamara Wheat. She's still in jail, uh, believe it or not, on a misdemeanor, and she's been denied bail. And yet the Antifa guy in Winnipeg that rolled through and hit four protesters with his vehicle, attempted manslaughter, he's out on bail. And, and what, <laughs> what, is, what is her charge? I mean, just a misdemeanor? Mischief. Well, mischief, uh, um, counseling mischief. <laughs> These are all misdemeanors that are usually you just get a, a long piece of yellow paper and a fine. And, <laughs> this and is they it. have her in like with no bail. And facing up to 10 years in prison? Correct. Jeez. Is there any, I mean, what, is there a good chance that she's going to get out and be fine? I mean, that, that can't stand. Can it? Technically, it could. It really depends on her legal defense. And with the amount of, uh, the amount of lawyers lining up, <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think she's going to spend uh, any long term in jail, and I don't see any major financial fines coming on her. Uh, it's just preposterous that uh, yeah. they would. She they has would, to go through that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally, totally. You know, and she's probably one of the nicest people I've ever had the pleasure to speak with. Really, all these organizers were just down-home normal people. Now, of course, you may have had some previous involvement in the Yellow Vest movement, in the Canadian uh, or in the Western separatist movement. But those are just reactions to the times. Mm -hmm. You know, she's an activist, yes. And I think more people need to be activists. Yeah. Uh, She's a Canadian heroine right now. Wow. Um, well, hopefully everything goes well for her. And um, and what do you think of the uh, supposed uh, U.S. convoy that's happening? Um, I'm I've seen a few traces of it. I'm sure you know Twitter is doing its best to scrub it. Um, but do you see what do what do you see happening there? Um, I'm two opinions of it. It's going to be the second greatest shit show on earth. <laughs> right behind January sixth. <laughs> Right behind January 6th, you bet. Um, it's no surprise you take those two into it. And I think the other thing it's going to do is definitely bring attention to a great portion of America that is sitting there. And no offense to my American brothers and sisters, but a lot of America is sitting there ignorant and ignorant mm-hmm. in the class sense of without knowledge. So at the very least, I believe the convoy will be, as it was here in Canada, a catalyst to wake people up, to start to inform themselves. Because so many people are living their lives blindly. 
following the narrative that is fed to them on headlines, on tickers, on CNN, and what Martha said at the grocery store, as opposed to drilling deep into the facts. Mm-hmm. And that's what my hope is, is that it is a catalyst, like it was here in Canada, to wake people up to start to speak about and be a voice to call out what's going on in the world. Because this has been planned for 35 years. If anybody sits back and actually does a deep dive on Klaus Schwab and reads the books that he's written and published, they would start to say, hey, he's put, this is all coming to be right now all, in the world all coming together and the the disconnect in america and this comes from a solely you know a guy in the north of the 53rd up on the wall watching going uh you guys are really wrapped up in your own problems right now and you're missing the bigger problem you know um there's so much infighting and yep. division in the American psyche right now, from left to right, red to blue, converting to purple. And then what was once red is now, you know, now purple. It's becoming more blue because of the, you know, migration of your population. Mm-hmm. So you're just dragging the problem around with you. Uh, eventually, like it's happening up here in Canada, there's got to be a unifying factor that, you know, regardless of whether it's blue or red or purple, the issue is your freedoms and they're coming for your freedoms. Yep. I mean, that's what, you know, my biggest thing is that, you know, there's a big problem with freezing of people's bank accounts for their views on a political situation. And right now, you know, like my uh, movies plus my streaming platform that my listeners know about and probably like, shut up, stop talking about it. Um, we're freedom of speech focused. And I always say, I'm like, yeah, right now the right is getting most of the censorship, but someday they're going to come for you. You know what I mean? So, so right now they can free or they were freezing people's bank accounts in Canada because they donated to a cause that was uh, against the political views of, of the leader. So what happens, you know, it might take 15, 20, 25, 30, maybe even 50 years. What happens when all of a sudden the person is, you know, anti your religion, anti your sexuality, anti your race, and they can look at you attending a church event or look at you with your social credit score, you know, and, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm just throwing things out there, so don't kill me for this, but like, Say if you know it's somebody that's you know a, a, a anti-gay and um, don't believe doesn't believe in you know uh, marriage equality all that kind of stuff and and all of a sudden they see that you via your tracking on your phone or whatever they see you and another man live in a house together so you haven't quote unquote got married or anything and have kept it very you know under wraps out the, outside the house well, what what if they put that together and then they freeze your bank accounts and they come after you. It's going to come. It's the censorship will rear its ugly head against everybody except for the very, very, very few. I agree with that premise. 
I do, Corey. It's sinister in nature when your personal choices, your personal beliefs are used against you and they attack your ability to survive. And that speaks to the greater issue that's about to rear its head as the multitude of if thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of human rights cases start to be brought before human rights tribunals. Here in Canada, we have some devastating human rights tribunal laws that are so draconian. And now people are going to be using those against the government. Now imagine you're Imagine you're a mother on some form of government subsidy and, you know, you get your 16 or $1,800 a month, uh, you know, to pay your rent and feed your kids and take care of all that kind of stuff. And then you take $50 and you donate it to the truckers. And then all of a sudden now you don't get your benefit, you don't get your sustenance uh, payment, your welfare payment or, or your pogi payment, benefit payment, whatever. Uh, your account's frozen. Um, you... Um, you look at the 247 job ads, 248 of them require double vaccination. Um, children may have uh, some form of disability or may require medication and they have no funds to acquire medication or to get treatments for things. So it uh, affects their ability to survive as a human. So that speaks to a fundamental violation of human rights. You know, um, just speaking, you know, just taking a look at the, the United Nations, you know, using the UN as a basis, UN global, the UN human rights. <laughs> wow. So it's. So the fact that we've turned our blind eyes, blind eyes towards so many, so many things around the world shows you what's really how we really feel uh, you know, the public or the um, the ruling class feels back here in North America. You know, Canada and the U.S. <laughs> have turned a blind eye to a lot of terrible things. Yes, they have. Yeah, much like they did uh, 1938 to 1941. Yeah, until they were forced to get in. Yeah, they knew. They knew. America knew in 1941 what Germany was doing. You know, it's crazy, too. I think um, I think I watched World War II in, Col- in Color on uh, Netflix. And you don't realize, like, you know, the state control on the media was even more severe back then. Um, and I think there were U.S. troops when they started pushing into, you know, German-occupied areas. Um, they came across uh, somebody that had, I think, escaped from a, um, a concentration camp. And they thought, like, it was, like, a zombie or something. Like, they had no idea. You know, they were like, what, what is this? Why? Wh- what's wrong with this person? Like they had no idea that these camps were there. Um, yeah, they weren't briefed. Uh, it it was known that they were there. At the, the top, upper, the upper command knew that they that they were there, um, but boots on the ground, no. You know um, that 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 the, typical scene in your brain of you know a, a U.S. platoon coming up on a um, on a on Auschwitz or on Bochum on Bochumba, um, just the utter shock. Yeah. Of, Right. And then standing back as the uh, as the concentration camp uh, survivors were tearing the German guards apart, literally ripping their bodies apart in retribution and not stopping it. 
and literally executing guards yeah. because of the atrocities that they had witnessed, making those arbitrary on-the-spot decisions that, you know, you've treated another human being in such, in such a way that you no longer, you know, you no longer, that individual is making the decision that they no longer have the right to live, so they're being executed on the spot. So that wild. happened. You know, that happened. I'm afraid that we might steer towards that again because it's getting pretty ugly uh, out there in the world. But uh, but people like you and, um, you know, people in general, I mean, that's a thing I love about, you know, somebody was saying last night on the big Twitter space following all the Ukraine, Russia stuff. They said it's really important to keep in mind that the, the Russian people do not want this, you know, like the, oh, the, 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 the incredible protests going on in uh, Russia right now in opposition to this. Oh, they're getting arrested on the spot. Like absolutely. tons of people. Tons of absolutely. people. Absolutely. I was watching a live feed here about two hours ago. And just, wow. You know, they're just brutally being picked up and thrown into uh, wagons and hauled off, right? Anybody, any dissenters. What was interesting, and I'm three quarters of the way through, uh, once again, reviewing exactly what uh, Putin's statement was um my russian is is really really bad but now that the the trans now that the um the actual speech has been translated what he's saying is wow (laughs) you want to talk about you know him taking a very powerful position on what russia believes and it's almost as if, and this is what I'm going to say, is, is that he's just basically trying to recover all of the previous uh, USSR republics and bring them into the Russian Federation. Yeah, I think that's what's happening. Um, he also used the historical precedents for the invasion as to recover the traditional lands uh, of Russia that were incorporated into the Ukraine uh, between the 1917 revolution and the uh, induction of the USSR constitution in 1924 that redistributed some of those lands. So very interesting history, very interesting. And then I, I also saw somebody mention, you know, I don't, it, just in passing, they said there's a lot of lithium mines in Ukraine as well. I'm like, ah. Not just the it's the there's the resources there's the, I mean he's you know he wants it for because he wants to bring back the USSR. Um, yeah. The other thing about with the, with the Ukraine is the number of bio warfare labs that are in yeah uh, they yeah. killed the. Threat. Hmm. The guy, the guy got banned. I, I saw you tweet that. Clicked on Board it, read down. the link, thread, and I yeah. was like, "Whoa!" And then, thread readers down. Yeah, huh. the thread readers <laughs> down. Yeah, they scrubbed him all oh, big time. That got scrubbed. Some of oh, us actually boy. DF of it. But that being said, if I say anything, I'll probably get hunted now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, There's, there was a reason why. Um, they fired uh, cruise missiles uh, at particular installations. They wanted to make sure that those particular labs were destroyed in their entirety. 
wonder why they would want to destroy them without, uh, you know, because couldn't they use those as evidence? Well, the last thing you want to do is have them release it. That's much true. rather destroy it and, and make sure you can burn it at like three to 5,000 degrees as opposed to having some guy just open up a Petri dish and go. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, uh, Joe, I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, I know for the Bitcoiners, you guys definitely uh, will enjoy this because uh, this is right up your alley. But uh, we didn't talk talk a ton of Bitcoin. But, I mean, you know, the the things that, I th- you know, you're, you see it. So I think you're going to help a lot of people, um, you know, get orange pilled and, and understand that, you know, the information on or the, the monopoly on information was lost by uh, the Internet whenever the Internet came and the monopoly on money was lost um, here whenever Bitcoin was invented. And I think right now we're seeing the people that had that monopoly just flipping out and, uh, and throwing the kitchen sink at us. And so we just got to hang tight. Um, and, uh, you know, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show and, and sharing your insights and uh, everybody just give them a handoff as to where they can, you know, follow you and, and see, you know, the spaces that you're holding and, and all that kind of stuff. Sure thing. I'd, I'd like to add one more ingredient to the recipe for Bitcoiners and those mm-hmm. in the Bitcoin market. Moving forward, the number one thing that I believe will attract people to to this and give them security uh, in being able to make their own decisions and to do their own due diligence is to keep it simple. A lot of people have no clue of blockchain. They have no clue of mining. And it seems that seems to be the topical matter of a lot of discussion. The simple language of you know, you need to have your own personal wallet. You can transfer between. You can keep it secure by not leaving it on an exchange. You know, teaching people the basics is priority now in order to keep the movement moving forward as people pull out of fiat and go into a cryptocurrency. The keeping it simple solution, kissing it, kissing it, kissing it. That seems to give people confidence that this is not just some fly-by-night thing where, you know, literally they can have the rug pulled under them because we know about rug pulls in the crypto world. But keeping it simple, keeping it very straightforward helps people make decisions. Confusing issues certainly, you know, causes people to delay making decisions. And in this time, at this day, in this age, People need as much clear information as they can so they can make an appropriate and informed decision. And if anybody, like you say, wants to give me a follow or reach out to me, it's at Joe Rampart on Twitter. You can certainly find me there. Uh, I host spaces on an almost daily basis. I I participate as a co-host and uh, certainly do enjoy uh, making sure that people have a voice um, that's kind of what I feel my mission is, is to help people use their voice because we can't use our hands. We cannot use violence. We must speak. We must speak clearly. We must be concise and we must be correct. And that requires that we cooperate and we collaborate, not compromise. So you're welcome to follow me. Well and said. I really thank you for your time and the opportunity to share what little experience, hope, and wisdom I might have for your listeners today. 
I appreciate it, Joe. Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome and have yourself a wonderful day.